Hi, this is Dr. MJ coming to you from beautiful Boston, Massachusetts. This is the Women in Dentistry podcast where we feature women in dentistry making waves and leading the industry through the next decade. I am your host, Dr. Mary Jane Hanlon, a former dental assistant, dental hygienist, and now dentist. Dr. Maragliano Munitz was a dental hygienist before earning her DMD from Tufts University School of Dental Medicine and her certificate in advanced prosthodontics from UCLA School of Dentistry. She is a board-certified prosthodontist, the chief editor for DentistryIQ.com. In addition, she is the chief development officer for Celerant Consulting Group, a faculty member at Tufts University School of Dental Medicine, maintains a private practice in Salem, Massachusetts. She's an international lecturer and extensively published. Her passion for prevention has stayed with her throughout her career, and in 2010, Dr. Maragliano Munitz was awarded the 2010 Adult Preventative Care Practice of the Year by the American Dental Association. Please help me welcome Dr. Maragliano Munitz. Just tell us a little bit about your story and how you got into dentistry. So I will say that there's a little bit of serendipity and a little bit of luck in all stories, and mine is really no different. So I have to kind of start with my sister. My sister wanted to study music in college, and my dad said, yeah, that's all well and good, and you can study music. However, you need to have a job that you won't be depending on a man. So you're going to go to dental hygiene school. And so we don't have any dental people in our family. My dad is not a dentist. He just decided that that was a great job for a woman and that's what she needed to do. And after she went to dental hygiene school, she can do whatever she wants. So that's what she did. And she's a dental hygienist now. So me coming up, I'm younger than my sister. I did not plan on being in the dental field at all. I planned on being either a veterinarian or a professional hockey player or anything. Basically, my dad said, you can do whatever you want after you become a dental hygienist. So I made a deal with him and I said, okay, I'll apply to dental hygiene school, but not everybody gets into dental hygiene school the first try. It's actually really hard to get into. And so I said, if I don't get into dental hygiene school, my fallback upon job, my can't depend on a man job will be veterinary technician. And he was like, fine. Okay. So sure enough, I get into dental hygiene school and I fell in love with it. I felt like I was finally waking up in the morning and going to school for a reason. Because up until dental hygiene school, you basically go to school and study so you can pass a test. And so now I'm working on learning a skill that I had to practice on a human. And that was something that just felt important to me. Mm. And I loved it. And so knowing that becoming a clinical hygienist was really not my end goal, I figured after I got my associate's degree, I asked my sister to quit her job and the two of us would move to Boston and go to Forsyth together. So Uh she quit her job. Both of us applied to one school and thankfully we both got in. And so we moved to Boston and I only really started practicing clinically when I was in Boston. And I found I didn't have any real dental experience. I worked as an assistant for three hours once. I almost fainted. Once? Once. (laughs) And I started working clinically in Boston and I found the end of the appointment to be so interesting because I didn't have any dental experience. I could sort of spot a problem, but I had no idea how to fix it. 
I had no idea what would be recommended. So as soon as the doctor would come in at the end of the visit, I would just sit there and be like, what are we going to do? And mm. I just learned so much at the end of that appointment. And I worked for a prosthodontist and I worked for not probably the best general dentist on the planet. And so when I was realizing that dentistry might be what I want to do, I kind of went into it thinking, well, if I'm going to be a dentist, I need to be like him and not like him. So I kind of went into dental school knowing that I needed to specialize and probably specialize in prosthodontics. That's so exciting. So how did you practice hygiene for any length of time? I did. I practiced full time for one year because it was too late for me to matriculate into dental school mm -hmm. that following year once I made that decision. So I worked full time for a year. And then basically I worked every weekend. Once um, Tufts faculty realized that I was a hygienist, I definitely never had a Saturday free at all in dental school. And then come my senior year, I actually, I had also covered the hygienist vacations because they oftentimes corresponded with when we were off from school. And then I was so far ahead in clinic, actually, in my senior year, I just worked a day a week in my office that I used to work in. Wow, that's great. That's great. I remember working one day a week myself every, every all through four years of school. But mortgage and child necessitated that, right? So very different. So tell listeners how, like, you could have gotten into hygiene school and hated it, but you loved it. And was there any one thing about the field of dentistry that made you fall in love? Like, I don't, I, you know, I don't remember what caused me to fall in love with dentistry, but I remember the first time I walked into an orthodontist office at 14 years old. I'd come home. I told my mom I wanted to be a dentist. And she gave me the single piece of advice, best piece of advice I've ever gotten still to this day. And so, well, you better go find out what it's like because you may find that you don't like it. And so I did. I took her seriously and I found a job after school and went in. And I knew as soon as I opened the door and I spent my first day there that I did not want to do anything else. It was amazing. I, I don't know how that happened. Was there any aha moments for you? I'm not sure if it was an aha moment, like a specific aha moment, mm -hmm. but I can say that throughout all of my high school education, my first associate's degree, I could sort of just ride on my inherent intelligence, if you will. I didn't really have to study that hard and I didn't really, I didn't really have to work that hard and I always did pretty well. And dental hygiene school was different because mm -hmm. I found myself wanting to learn and wanting to know. And it wasn't enough to just, and I came in kind of as an underdog because a lot of my classmates all were assistants and kind of had a general, they knew tooth numbers, they knew what a molar was and I had no idea. And so I kind of went in there sort of like an underdog and I just felt like it was something I, I don't know, like my heart needed to learn. Like it wasn't mm -hmm. like, it was something I wanted to know. It wasn't like, oh, I have a test so I have to study. This was just something that out of nowhere, I took it really seriously and I developed in hygiene school how I study and how I learn. And I never really took that time prior to that. So I think it was almost for me kind of an evolution, but it was definitely a labor of love. And look at you today. So international speaker, you're all over the place traveling every convention, not now, but, but I'm sure that you will be yet again. Tell the listeners a little bit about the different roles that you have found yourself in at this point, because I think that 
one of the reasons for this podcast is to show this, you know, you may have had the path into dental hygiene or dental school, but there's so many other things that we could be doing in the world today with our background in dentistry that I think it's important for them to hear that side of it. So if you could elaborate a little bit, that would be great. Sure. So I wear a few different hats in the industry. So first things first, I own a practice. So I'm a practice owner in Salem. It's a small practice and I work three to four days a week there. Technically still on the faculty at Tufts. I'm a volunteer at Tufts. So when I'm asked to come lecture, I do everything I can to show up and be there for our students. I also work for a consulting company. I'm a chief development officer for Celerant Consulting Group, which is a group that basically helps to bring new and innovative technologies into the marketplace and really help them get going um, in the industry, which is cool. And I also work in publishing. I'm the chief editor for DentistryIQ.com and the editorial director for the Dental Academy of Continuing Education, all under the umbrella of Endeavor. So Dental Economics, RDH Magazine, we're all kind of interconnected. So how did you get involved? I, I remember asking you this question when we were out to dinner one night with, with our, our mutual friend. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, how did you do all of this? Like what led you down this path? So talk about serendipity. So in 2008, I moved back from California and I was looking for a job and I started working one day a week in the office where I was a hygienist. And we started to bring Cambra, so tooth decay prevention protocols into our practice. And things were going really well in the office. And so Dr. Chapman, me and our hygienist Donna Roberts, we got together and we decided to conduct a chart review to kind of understand what was happening? Are, are, are patients getting healthier? What is this program doing for our practice? And we presented that at the ADA in 2010. I can't believe it was 10 years ago. Wow. And we were awarded the Adult Preventive Practice of the Year from the American Dental Association. So for me, that was like awesome and exciting and just validating for the things that we were doing. But that also sparked a whole life that I never even signed up for. I started being asked to give webinars and give lectures. And if there's one piece of advice that I can impart upon people, don't say no to something because you're afraid of it. And so these are definitely not things that I ever thought I would do. It's not really necessarily anything I thought I'd want to do. But I figured if I said no to it because I'm afraid of it, I might be missing out on something awesome. Absolutely. And look at what you have accomplished in in that 10-year time span. It's absolutely amazing what you're doing and where you're going. So tell me the one thing that that you find the most fun about your trajectory and your journey in dentistry. What have you found the most fun? Oh my goodness, the most fun. Probably the dental community. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's just such a really great sense of community, whether it's at Tufts with the faculty and with the students. I still have students calling me that are, they're just my friends now. And then even in the dental industry, and especially even right now with COVID-19, how everybody is just checking in with one another, supporting one another. And I just think that the dental industry in general is just a great world to be in. And I think if nothing else, I feel like I've met some extraordinary people, some inspiring people. And, um, I think probably the friends that I've made is the most fun. Absolutely. I will share that I think that our community is pretty impressive. Right from the get-go, you know, once COVID-19 started, I think everybody was 
online sharing as much as they possibly could any kind of information that, that they had that maybe others hadn't gotten to yet. I find that it has been an amazing source of camaraderie. And you know, where it's a world issue, I think that, that we're all in this together. We might as well support one another and what a nice silver lining to come from all of this, isn't it? I think so. And I think it's just interesting and heartwarming that I've got people just checking in, you know, how are you doing? How are you holding up? Do you want to have a call? You know, and it's like the little quick hello call or quick email will actually turn into, you know, a solid half hour conversation. And I right. think people are leaning on each other right now. And I think it's really sweet to be part of that. That is kind of a bittersweet um, aspect of this whole COVID-19. So I'm going to ask you to put your entrepreneur hat back on and tell me a little bit about some of the challenges or obstacles that you've had, at least through COVID-19 with your staff and the office. And then, you know, you don't have to go obviously into detail, but in addition, you know, what's the biggest obstacle you've had to overcome so far in your career? Well, I would say with COVID-19, I think the biggest obstacle, if you will, is you have to rely on yourself as a leader. You know, obviously you're the leader of your practice, but now all of a sudden, you know, it's kind of once you have your team in place and you kind of do your day to day, things sort of fall into place under normal circumstances. Right. And then all of a sudden this happens and they're looking to you. And I remember we made the decision to close on Sunday night and we had patients scheduled on Monday. Mm -hmm. And so we had to close, figure out what I was going to do with my staff, tell our patients, you know, kind of continually educate our patients and try to stay in touch with them. So I feel like um, you, you almost have to realize and you know, how you have to, you know, what do they say? Like the cream rises to the top or whatever you, you really have to, you know, it's not a time to just sit back and let it happen. You really have to dig deep and pull out those leadership skills that you know that you have and you have to use them. Absolutely. I find that that has been the biggest challenge for everybody. It's the struggle with their, their staff and the hard decisions that we have all had to make. Certainly at the school, we're, we're facing some similar challenges and we you know, we haven't had to do anything yet, but I, you know, unfortunately I do know it, it might be coming and, and it's, it's a hard place to be. It's a really hard place to be, especially where you have people that have been with you long-term. I know some of your staff has been there since you bought the practice. I know, and maybe before then, same thing with the school, you know, as well as I do, some of the, the team members that we have there have been there 20, 30 years. So it's, you know, take a deep breath and you hope for the best, but you know, whatever it is, what it is, and we can't really do much about it. Now, is there any other obstacles outside of the COVID-19 that, that you're really proud that you were able to overcome? So one thing I'm proud of is that I haven't freaked out yet. <laughs> so it's one of those things where I think that I've been sort of Every year, I mean, I've owned my office now for five and a half years. And so each tax year has been very different. Mm -hmm. And so it was different with a, our former president versus our new president. And for me, it's kind of changed every year. So out of that, you know, in uncertainty of what was going to happen from a tax standpoint, I try to save as much money as I can. And so I never really thought that a rainy day would come or a rainy two months. But it's been here and I feel like, gosh, I'm really glad that 
I've been able to kind of squirrel away some funds that I did have rainy day funds. And so I'm not in a situation right now where I'm just, you know, extremely stressed because that would add a whole other level on top of it. So I'm Mm -hmm. glad that my staff's been understanding and my office manager has been awesome. She's just been managing patients and we've been doing teledentistry. And so it's been, you know, you kind of have to just go, you know, learn as you go, but with each challenge comes opportunity. And I think that- you know, you get to reassess your practice, you reassess your staff, you reassess, you know, the things that are making you not as happy in this life and what you need to do to change it. Absolutely. Uh, Speaking of teledentistry, the transition to a virtual reality has gone so fast with all of us in dentistry. I think we have been not avoiding, but I think we have been selective about, about taking on telehealth. And I think it's just amazing how quickly we have transitioned. I know that we're triaging patients at the dental school through our our leadership and through the call center with faculty members, and it's working out extremely well. We're able to divert a lot of people from the Tufts Medical Center emergency room, and we're taking care of a bunch of people as well. But but we're actually just reassuring patients that everything is going to be okay. And I, I'm sure that you're doing the exact same thing. It's, it's really impressive to see how fast we've adapted to that. I do believe too that you're absolutely on point with innovation and opportunity. I think that amazing amounts of transitions are going to occur in the year ahead as to what we can expect because it's not gonna be status quo when we go back. Obviously, we, we all know that at this point. But you know, for all those young dentists that maybe in their first year of owning a practice or maybe have thought that they were going to buy a practice, any words of wisdom for them? Well, I would say if you wanna buy a practice, buy a practice. And you know, it's mm-hmm. gotta be one of those things that you really in your heart wanna do. I mean, I can tell you from my experience, one of my favorite things about owning a practice is having the autonomy to do things the way I want to do them. And so I know that, you know, from an infection control standpoint, for example, we have used level three masks all along. So it's not like I'm scrambling trying to get level three masks because I try to keep infection control as optimal as I can in my practice. And I feel like there's something that brings a lot of pride in able, being able to do things the way you want to do them. Having said that, I will say that I'm the last one to get paid. (laughs) And so it's definitely something where, you know, you really have to have hustle and you have to, you know, there's, you have to be smart and effective and efficient. And there's just things that you have to bring into your practice, be open to new ideas, make sure Mm -hmm. you have the right team, you know, and that's a lot of management that I really didn't know. I, you know, I kind of just figured I always loved everybody I always worked with. I'm sure it'll be great. And that's not always the case either. So I think if you want to own a practice and it's something that you really truly want to do, I think that there's a great opportunity as a solo practitioner. But nowadays there's even blind investors and you know different different other practice models that you can partake in that it seems like right now there's just the, really the opportunities are kind of limitless. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I really do. Now, um, speaking of marketing, because you were one of the first dentists I ever remember who was on Instagram, learned Facebook, did all of those things. And I was mesmerized by it from the very beginning. And you're really good at positioning yourself. 
So tell me if there's any marketing strategy that you had that actually worked better than you, you expected it to. Is there anything that you recall, any program that you did? Well, from a marketing standpoint, I will say that I'm still searching for that secret sauce that just brings in patients on a routine basis. I would say every place and every town is a little bit different. So you have to kind of find what works for your specific demographic. But I think one thing that I didn't necessarily do upfront was I felt like I wanted to be what everybody wanted me to be. And I find that what's probably the best thing you can do is to just be yourself. And so I think social media is a great opportunity to post a video and post it of you. And if it's silly and, and fun, then, and if that's who you are, then that will show through. And I think I genuinely like probably 99.9% .9 of my patients. And I think if people are attracted to your personality, you will get along with your patients and you'll have these exceptional relationships just by being yourself. And so I think that social media is just a great way to let yourself shine. Mm -hmm. Great. That's awesome. So tell us on a more personal note, one thing that people would be surprised to learn about you. I would say people would be surprised to learn that I tried out for the Olympics in 1998 for ice hockey. And I was the only female in my ice hockey league growing up. So I kind of- Wow, got, you know, that is really cool. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so my brother started off playing street hockey. And basically, once they started the street hockey league, he had to buy rollerblades and he couldn't skate. So my sister and I used to go kind of to laugh at him. <laughs> I know it's kind of mean, but it's just what we did. And my coach came up to me and said, you come every week, why don't you play with us? And I was like, eh. I'd probably get killed because everyone's a boy. I said, I could probably be a goalie, I guess. I don't know. He's like, great, you're our goalie. I'll see you next week. Oh and so I went from laughing at my brother every single week to all of a sudden, I'm a goalie. And so I had never ice skated before in my life. And next thing you know, like, and to go from never ice skating to be a hockey goalie, I had to work really, really hard to get where I was. And I had to work really, really hard to get the respect of the guys on my team and the people that I used to play against. But I think that, to be honest with you, that level of getting comfortable with the uncomfortable is something that, you know, I kind of learned at a young age and it's something that's really served me well. And so I found that I became best friends with the guys on my team. I became very good friends with the guys I played against. And it was just such a really, really great thing just probably one of the happiest memories growing up. I was so close to my brother growing up and we just, something we did together. And um, I feel like it, it kind of taught me to be physically strong and mentally strong and to really mm -hmm. learn those skills early. Kudos to your brother because most brothers would want their sisters around. At least I, that's my, my experience from growing up, but that's great. I mean, what made you decide to keep going? And, and so tell us a little bit more about the Olympics. Were you on the, the boys team for the Olympics? No. So they had women's tryouts. So mm -hmm. my dad and I, we lived in New York and we drove all the way up to Massachusetts because I guess the tryouts are kind of regional. And so we went to Stowe, Massachusetts, where we did our tryouts. And I did not make the team, but it was such a cool opportunity. I still have mm -hmm. the jersey <laughs> to show for it. And it was something where pretty much all of the girls that made the team 
were affiliated with a, you know, a pretty well-known college. And at that point I was still going to community college. I was kind of this like no name, little like Renton tin, if you will, but it was such a cool experience. And it was cool to see that me playing with boys starting at a, you know, kind of a late age learning how to ice skate to be able to kind of hold my own with these Olympians was just amazing. And so I didn't make the team and that's all well and good. It wasn't meant to be. I was meant to be a dental hygienist in 98 and not an Olympic goalie, but it was just something that was validating and inspiring. And it was just cool to be around those people and see them on TV later. Absolutely. I mean, inspiring that I had no idea that that was in your background. That's awesome. If you could go back to you as a little girl, what's, what's the piece of advice that you would give her to become successful? Would you say sports? Would you say that anything in particular that you find that really supported you in your journey as an adult and successful entrepreneur? Well, my mom used to always say, and my dad used to say, you could be whatever you want. Like whatever you set your mind to, you can do. And that was kind of an attitude that kind of stayed with me throughout my entire life. And so I really think that, although I, I would say I didn't have the confidence to match that statement, it's a statement I heard throughout my whole life. Mm-hmm. And I think if I could go back again, I would probably try to get myself to understand that I am smart enough and I am strong enough. And I, I think of the things that were challenging for me, it was really because I wasn't sure of those things. And I mm-hmm. think that learning maybe a little bit more confidence probably would have been, you know, a good skill to have. Absolutely. And one of the goals that I have for this is to inspire young women to take the step if they, they don't feel they can or don't feel that they can do anything, that they can do much more than, than what they think they can do. And confidence, I think, is a huge key to that. So, Thinking from the point that you mentioned that you you didn't have the confidence back then, what helped you gain confidence? What do you think started to contribute to you developing more confidence in your ability? I think a couple of things. One Mm -hmm. was, gosh, I didn't even know if I was going to get into dental school. And when I did, I was convinced, not even thinking, I was convinced that I was going to be the dumbest person in my class, like a hundred percent convinced. And I know, well, it's just, you know, I felt like I was, I was normal. I wasn't a valedictorian. I was just a normal person and I was inspired and I wanted to be a dentist, but I didn't, you know, I didn't have a biochemistry background. I had a dental hygiene background. And I just felt like I was going to be a relatively weak student. And I was so blessed to get into dental school I was thinking, oh, Tufts, you don't even know what you have coming to you. I'm just the dumbest kid that's going to be in the school. And obviously, it took a test or two to realize that that wasn't the case. But I had to kind of prove that to myself. Mm. And I think if I went into it saying, hey, I got into dental school, I'm smart enough to get into dental school, and I'm smart enough to be in dental school, I probably wasted a lot of energy having to prove that to myself. And I think that was probably a disservice, but turned out to be okay. But I think you know, just trying it. I mean, what's the worst thing that happens if you go down this avenue and it's not the right one for you? There's always an out. And, you know, life evolves. And, you know, if you head down this path, it's not right, then you make a right turn or a left turn and all of a sudden you'll find your way and it's going to be okay. So why Mm -hmm. not have fun and be courageous and find what inspires you? Because 
it's a long life. You don't want to practice clinical dentistry five days a week and there's other things that you want to do. Go for it. Why not? Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. I think that the one reason why I started in, in dental school so late in life is because I lacked the confidence and my ability to do it as well. And when I realized that I indeed was smart enough because I was told by a guidance counselor when I was younger that you're not smart enough to be a dentist. I realized that I was smart enough. That was when I finally developed the courage and said, okay, I need to do this. I, I've been talking about this since I was a kid. I just need to take the DATs, at least apply because I will never know. And I, I have decided in my life that I do not want to live with regret. And so everything I do now, I do, even if I am afraid of the entire process, I do it anyway, because I don't want to live with regret. And I think that that is one of the keys for me to help gain my confidence, because every time you do take that one step and you are successful, it's like you realize, wow, I just did that. But I'm surprised that your confidence didn't start much earlier. I mean, playing on a boys hockey league, you've got to have extreme confidence in yourself or at least a, a very strong competitive side to you that allowed you to succeed in that. I mean, that is a huge accomplishment. Well, thank you. I think that it was something that sort of like fell in my lap. It wasn't right. something, you know, I didn't wake up and say, gosh, I want to be a hockey goalie. It was sort of the, one of those things that my coach approached me and I said, okay, well, I'll give it a try. And it was cool because my brother was there. So if anybody said anything mean to me, my brother would punch them. So that was always helpful. And then that it went good. from my brother was there to protect me to my whole team was there to protect me. So I felt like, you know, and it's almost, I don't know, symbolic, if you will, of, you know, how we are as women and how we are even in the dental industry that, you know, you have people that, and it's like the team mindset is you have people to support you. And if you mm -hmm. do well, they all do well. And it's just one of those things that I think that, yeah, I did have to, you know, get confidence, but you could also hide behind your equipment. I just had a big, long ponytail that kind of set me apart from everybody else. But I think for the most part, I was just part of a team and I was there to win with them. And, you know, I played just as hard and I, you know, got tons of bruises. I learned pretty quickly. Once I started dental hygiene school, I realized that all the questions my dentists and my hygienists were asking me was to um, see if my parents were beating me because I always had these big welts on me from ice hockey. And they were like, are you still playing hockey? And I'm like, oh yeah, see my bruise? <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, my poor parents almost got a call from DSS. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, proud signals and scars of doing what you love. That's great. So tell me, um, is there anyone in dentistry that inspires you? There's so many people mm. that inspire me. I will Everyone say, says that's a really tough one, but think of one person out of a group that, that might inspire you the most. Okay, so at the risk of sounding cliche, mm -hmm. I would say maybe Esther Wilkins. Oh, because. Yeah. You think of somebody like Esther, and she was a hygienist before a dentist. Yeah. She was a tough cookie. She, she was. She became a dentist in a world where dentistry did not exist for women, and this was something that she wanted to do, and she made a name for herself. She, despite the fact that she was a dentist and a periodontist, she was always there to support dental hygienists and support their education. Mm -hmm. And I think anybody that's a hygienist holds her up on such a pedestal 
And to be able to know her by being in Boston and teaching at Tufts and being her student as a Tufts dental student, I think not only did she inspire us as a hygiene community because of her Bible that she wrote, basically. I know. What color was your book? Mine was pink. Mine was blue. (laughs) <laughs> every, so it's it's so interesting because every hygienist that I, I have ever talked to, you know, what color was your book? You know, everybody knows that each edition was a different color. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's amazing. It's amazing. And it was the book that you used. And to get to know her, she practiced what she preached. And I feel like mm-hmm. she exemplified the leadership skills that she put forth in that book. And so I feel like you know, early on, she seemed like just this name that was attached to this book that was so pivotal for all of our education. But to have that opportunity to get to know her and realize that she really, you know, she was tough and she was strong and she did, you know, she just had a presence to her even, you know, at a hundred years old. And that's just something that I think we all could aspire to. Absolutely. I remember meeting her for the first time and I was in total awe, total awe because she just, presence is probably the right description. She had a presence in the room wherever she was, no matter what she was doing. And I will say that both she and and Hildy Tillman both graduated from the same class and were icons back in their day and still, you know, working until, well, Hildy was working until 97, just a couple of months before she passed away. And Esther was working on her, next edition of her book when she passed away so you know she was working right up until the end she was losing her hearing but as you we both know she was working right up until the end she just was so passionate about the profession of dentistry and the profession of dental hygiene for sure absolutely when was the first time you met her at school at tufts actually i met her with my sister when we were touring for uh, yeah touring Forsyth while when we were first applying there and we were wow. interviewing and to just run into Esther Wilkins was like we were just starstruck I barely even remember it because I don't think I was even able to really have a conversation wow. with her mm-hmm. and then um, it was actually funny I must have been my first or second year in dental school and she told us not to brush our teeth before our workshop. And so my classmate and, my, and I were both hygienists. So if Esther Wilkins tells you to do something, like you just do it. And so everybody else brushed their teeth before the workshop. We didn't. And then she was horrified by us because the workshop was about disclosing your teeth. And so she was like, you guys, look at your teeth and you're hygienists. We're like, we're the only ones that didn't brush because we were listening to you. <laughs> but it was just so like, she just was such a pillar in our, mm-hmm. in our industry that, you know, I think we need more of those. Absolutely. So do you think that she had the biggest impact on your career or is there other people on in your circle that had a, an impact in a different way? I would say she was pivotal from a, if you will, like a dental celebrity, if you will, like somebody that you, you know, just to get to know her and realize that what she practiced, you know, she practiced what she preached mm-hmm. basically. I would say Dr. Chapman, Dr. Robert yeah. Chapman, he was, mm-hmm. um, so cool because I used to be their hygienist Mm -hmm. and so I got to watch him practice and I got to learn what prosthodontics was early and I got to see dentistry that lasted such a long time. I mean, some of the dentistry in his patients' mouths were older than I was at the time. And I thought, my goodness, if I could be like that, then I would be a really successful dentist. And he 
mentored me while I was a hygienist, while I was a dental student, and even after. And so he was just one of those that just was, he's just always a teacher. In fact, that's what inspired me to teach was the faculty at Tufts. They were just fantastic. And I mm -hmm. feel like they were the Prost faculty in particular were so supportive of me wanting to pursue prosthodontics that I just felt, gosh, if I could give to somebody else what they gave to me, then I know I would feel rewarded. And to be honest with you, teaching is just in my soul. And I think that's part of the reason. Absolutely. Who in your career can you say encourage you the most to become an entrepreneur and to lead you down all of these different paths? Is there anyone in particular that you can recall that Let's just pick your editorial side because we've talked a lot about your, your dental career. Was there somebody that requested that you write a, a paper about something in particular? Was it, was it because of the attention you got at the ADA? You know, if somebody was looking to start writing, they, they have that particular skill, you know, what is the pathway for them to take that from an idea to you know, a printed copy, you know, somewhere where it's, it's out there for everybody to read. I would say if you're going to write something, write it. I can say you can always reach out to me for dentistryiq.com. We've got a pretty wide net that we reach, which is cool. And I would say you'd never know where it's going to lead. I wrote a few articles for RDH magazine about tooth decay prevention because it was all kind of around that same time. Mm -hmm. And they called me and they said, do you want to be editorial director for Pearls for Your Practice, which is a product, it's part of the Product Navigator newsletter as part of, um, at the time, Penwell, but now Endeavor, because I live by the mantra to not say, not say no to things because you're afraid. I was said, yeah, what do you want me to do? And um, basically I started, that was something that forced me to kind of write on a regular basis and it got my name out there and there were people that would come up to me and they say, oh, I know you, you send me emails every month. And it just sort of led to bigger and, and different things. And from a person that helped me, I would say probably the, there was a few women actually in GC America and I started working with them and they'd sponsor some of my lectures, but I would say I became friends with them, but also because I was new to lecturing into the whole dental industry world, they really helped me navigate it and guide me through there really honestly. And I feel like I can reach out to them and say, hey, I'm thinking of this, what do you think? And as a friend, they're like, this is a good opportunity for you, or ah, you, you, know, you can do this, but then this may happen. And it was nice to have that sort of support. And coincidentally, I would say most of the time it's women that do that for you. Well, I find that that is very much true, that one of my mantras is, you know, when I succeed at whatever it is, the, the next goal or whatever, I always try to, to look back and see someone else that I might be able to bring along with me, just because I want to try and be as supportive as possible, you know, because when you get to the, wherever the top is, and there's no real top, it's all imaginary tops for all of us, but when you get to where you have always wanted to be or always wanted to do something you know it's not exciting if you don't have anyone to share it with and there's so many people I think that impact our journeys in life that it's always great to have your friends or people that you love around you to go on that journey with you because I think it's so important to 
to support them as well as your own, you know, your own path. I mean, when you support one person, you're supporting everyone, I think. I think it just helps the, the whole community all together. So good for you. Do you have a guilty pleasure or a secret dream that you would like to share with our audience? Ooh, a guilty pleasure or a secret dream. Let's see. Well, I think we all have a guilty pleasure for chocolate. If you don't, I don't know what to say about that. Um, <laughs> I will say, you know, a guilty pleasure, if you will, which actually has become a guilty pleasure over the past couple of years, which I actually feel really strongly about, is having a regular outlet from a physical standpoint. So for me, a couple of years ago, I decided I need a hobby because mm -hmm. I always say dentistry is my hobby and my job, but that's not always the best approach from a work-life balance standpoint. And so I decided I needed a hobby. And so one day I decided, all right, I'm going to decide today. I'm going to take a yoga class and a Pilates class, and I'm going to do it for three months. And that's what I'm going to do. And then if in three months I'm bored, I'm going to go do something else. And I started having a regular yoga practice. And I can tell you that it has helped me in every aspect of my life. I credit yoga to keeping my composure to take my boards, my pros boards. I feel it's helped me just with my interpersonal relationships. It's helped me just stay calm. I'm sleeping better. I'm just taking better care of myself. And I think, you know, from a guilty pleasure standpoint, yes, I do love chocolate, but I do think having a healthy guilty pleasure is probably something that's going to give you the best longevity for your career. I agree with you wholeheartedly. So do you use that as your stress relief? I use it as stress relief as I take hot power yoga. So it's definitely not easy, but I use, I definitely stress relief. Those breathing exercises are honestly really, really helpful. And even when I'm delivering anesthetic, I just take a deep breath and I, like, I'm breathing with the patient because I want to stay calm and be calm and make sure they're comfortable and I feel like it's helped me be a better dentist. Oh, that's fabulous. You know, one of the things I think that from a health perspective that is confusing about yoga is all the different types and, and you know, the different styles of yoga. So how did you land in hot yoga? Did you try the different types first? So I know if it's not easy for me to get to, I'm not going to go. So right. if I have to drive 20 minutes, even if it's the best place on the planet, I'm not going to go. And so coincidentally, the yoga studio that's right by my house is hot yoga and it's right there. And the schedule is conducive to going after work. And I realized I like going after work. I always thought if I didn't work out in the morning, it was, wasn't worth it for me. But I find that I can stick to an after work schedule. And so for me, it was really about convenience and I just said, you know what, I'm going to stick with it for three months. And within a couple of weeks, I could grab my feet and I could touch my toes and things I wouldn't, I couldn't have done for years before that. And I can say that, yeah, it's definitely worth trying different types and finding what you like. And it doesn't have to be yoga, but I think having a regular practice of something physical and, you know, something that makes you happy and something that just kind of brings you inner peace, regardless of what it is, whether it's running or yoga or Pilates or whatever, I think having something that you can do on a routine basis to serve as stress relief, but also as physical activity is just invaluable to your career, whether you realize it or not. I will say that the one thing that I did after dental school was I was at the gym and I 
struck up a conversation to the woman that was running on the treadmill next to me that I saw every single morning because I like clockwork. I, I would just go every morning when I got up and sure enough, you know, we hit it off and we decided to run outside one day. Well, 30 years later, we're still meeting at least once a week. And now we're doing it virtually because we just talk to each other on the phone while we're both now, neither one of us are running anymore because the knees are, are you want to save them till you're a hundred. So we're less pounding on it at this point, but we do walk together and walk a really brisk walk. And it's great. I mean, it's just that bond. We both knew that if the other wasn't there and you're right, it, it was close by, it was only five minutes from each one of our houses. And I knew if I didn't get my butt out of bed, she'd be standing there at quarter or five in the morning by herself having to go for a run. And I couldn't live with myself if I slept in because, you know, I wouldn't want that to happen to her because she would just still go out without me and vice versa. So it actually, I, I think, created this great bond that we still carry over today that makes it worth it. So whatever you have to do, I think you're absolutely right. You have to find what will make it consistent and stick with it. I find today that I'm much healthier than many women my age because I spent time through my younger years working out every single day, doing something physical every single day. And I think it's so important for us mentally. I think it's extremely important. And I would also say, don't do what I did. I bought my practice and I was stressed. I was stressed for so many reasons, just, you know, um, I didn't get along with the person I bought my practice from. So there was just an inherent stress there, mm -hmm. getting, you know, staff that were all older than me, trying to get them to respect me. That was stressful. Having patients that were patients of the practice for 30 plus years, trying to trust me as like a young kid, if you will, even though I wasn't even young. It was just one of those things that it felt like from every aspect of my life, I was stressed. And I mean, my goodness, the first couple of years, I didn't exercise at all. I would eat whatever was you know, available. And I just kind of, I didn't care what we ate for dinner as long as it was quick and I didn't have to cook it. I would get on the floor to play with my dog and I would be looking for something to grab to pull myself up off the floor. And I was never like that before. And um, I realized that that's not how I want to be. And so mm -hmm. that's really one of those things. I started trying to get 10,000 steps a day and it was something I really put my mind to, changing my eating habits. But then now that I found yoga and it's just kind of been my thing, that I feel like I feel more myself than I ever have. And I think, you know, when people do have problems with confidence and, you know, believing in yourself, part of it is maybe you're just not feeling well. Right. And I think when you feel well, you're your, your best self for yourself, your spouse, for your patients, for your pets, for everybody around you. So I just can't say enough about it. Don't do what I did. Well, very good advice. And I have to wholeheartedly agree with you because I do think that if we, if we don't take the time, what happens is, you know, your future self is going to look very different than you want them to be. And I will say that, you know, if I were to go back to that, my younger self in my th early 30s, I would say, oh my gosh, please stick with your exercise routine because it's only going to help you that much more when you're 60, 70 years old. Because, you know, from a health perspective, 
knock on wood, I really have not had to worry about much of anything. And I really relate it to staying active my entire life. So I do think that's great advice. Anything else from a stress perspective that you do to try and alleviate it as much as possible? I would say try to get your sleep. You yeah. know, I think that there's times when I, mean, I feel that way too, that sometimes, oh, I've, if I could just get this done, I'll just go to bed after I finish this. And I don't think that's necessarily the most healthy way to go. And I think health is not just exercising or just eating properly. It's really a 360 approach that you have to take. And I think when it comes to self-care, you can be more efficient when you're healthier and when you're stronger. Mm -hmm. And so I think eating rights, part of it, meal planning, whatever, you know, everybody has a different approach and a different routine. You have to find what works for you. But I feel like, you know, planning your meals and making sure that, you know, if you're picking out something to eat when you're hungry and you don't have anything in the house, yeah, you're probably going to go get takeout and it's probably not going to be the best it's choice. Healthy. At least mm -hmm. for me, it's not. So I think planning ahead is important. Sleeping is important, you know, and having that physical outlet. And so, and having some form of enjoyment, even with being closed, I mean, gosh, it's been closed for six weeks. I said to my husband, I said, you know what? You're working. I'm working, even though we're working remotely. I said, I think we have to have a date night. I think we have to take a night and just turn off our phones and watch a movie. And I think that even having time for enjoyment is important too. So really kind of, you know, valuing every aspect of your life and putting time into it. It just kind of gives you a more fruitful, more enjoyable life. Totally agree with you. And I think that is really valuable advice, unplugging getting rid of the phone, spending time with each other, you know, enjoying your family's company is, is just, you know, it's the silver lining in this COVID crisis that we're all surviving through. And I will say that I think that the best thing about it is, is family time. You know, the improvement in relationships is going to be significant. You know, obviously there's sadness too in, in missing different things. For example, my grandson is learning his colors now, he had his first haircut, I, you know, so I'm missing those things. But, you know, the one thing that is so great about where we are is that technology, at least I can see him on the phone every day and connect with my family and connect that way, even though we may not be able to see each other in person, at least I can still see them and connect with them. So I agree with you, the balance there is, is critically important. Do you have a personal motto or mantra that you use every day? or think through or is reminded of when things might be difficult? I don't know if I have a personal mantra, but I would say that I did promise myself a long time ago, a couple of things. One is to be kind to myself. You know, I'm kind to everybody around me and I try to give to my patients and try to be there for others. And I think when I decided to take that weight loss journey and that wellness journey a few years back, I, I decided that it was time for me to be kind to myself. And mm -hmm. so if I have a day where I didn't eat perfectly or I didn't make it to yoga when I woke up expecting to, that I was going to forgive myself. And I think that that's something that I, I kind of sometimes unfortunately have to remind myself to do, not be so critical of myself and you know appreciate the person that I am and appreciate the things that I give to others. And I also believe very strongly, do not say no to something because you're afraid of it. Because I can tell you that it's served me so well to just 
jump in with both feet, close your eyes and hope for the best. And believe it or not, you'll actually, you'll swim. Without a doubt. And I think too, what you probably have done as well as I have done is reach out to people. When you don't know how to do something, you know, people are more than willing to lend a hand and show you or give you instructions. You know, I always look for guidance. In fact, you know, when I started the podcast, I had no idea what a podcast was. I've heard of them. I never listened to one on a regular basis, but my desire to help inspire young women in our profession to be who they want to be, whether it's an entrepreneur or a leader in some way, shape or form in their organization, that all you have to do is, okay, this is what I want to do and I got to figure it out and I'm going to learn. And so I called as many people as I possibly could to get as much information and each person I called was more than willing to lead me down a path and help to share what they knew. And if they don't know everything, then, you know, they obviously know somebody who knows somebody who can help you. And I think that you're absolutely right that that piece of advice is critically important. Do it anyway. Feel the fear and do it anyway. And I think asking for help is a really great skill to have as well. I can tell you, I don't think it's ever happened. And if it has, I don't remember that somebody said no to helping me because they don't want to help me. I can tell you that for the most part, people are more than willing to help, lend a helping hand, educate, motivate, inspire, point you in that direction, tell you their story so that, you know, you can either learn from them or, you know, emulate them. That help is out there. And so if there's something that you want to do or something you want to pursue, the help is there. You just sometimes have to ask for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I have to tell you, this has been a great afternoon spending time with you. Tell people where they can connect with you, either your website or or online, you know, how they can reach you in different ways. Probably reaching me through social media is the easiest Mm -hmm. way to go. And so um, Instagram is Dr. Pamela underscore Maragliano. Facebook is just and LinkedIn, just Pamela Maragliano. And, um, I would say that's probably the easiest way to find me. I'm pretty findable. I mean, my website is salemdentalarts.com, but I'd say, you know, if you want to reach me directly, then the best way is probably social media and I will get back to you. You'd be surprised, but I, I try to get back to people as quickly as I can. I can say for sure that, that you got back to me right away. So thank you, Pam. I have thoroughly enjoyed our afternoon together. So thank you so much for being here, Pam. Thank you. Can I say one last thing? I would love it. Okay. I think that I don't know if your audience quite realizes who they're dealing with here. Because (laughs) when you talk about a strong, empowered, inspiring woman, you're really where it's at. And so you're just one of those people that when I met you at Tufts, I just, I liked you since day one. And I like when I, you were a practice coordinator, just like me. And I was like, she's my kind of people, because I could tell that you just, you're a get things done kind of person, you're fearless, you're strong, you know, but you're, you're kind and you're just, you know, inspiring. And so I just, I hope your audience realizes, you know, that you're giving because you have this background, you have an MBA, you're a hygienist, you're a dentist, you're a successful practice owner. I mean, you've got it all. And I just think that I hope your audience realizes what they've got, you know, what kind of resource they have in knowing you. Thank you, Pam. Ah! Ah! (laughs) Got me all teary-eyed there.
Well, it's true. And so I hope that people realize that because it's true. And it's, you know, I, I mean it from the bottom of my heart. I just think the world of you. So I'm excited for you. And I'm excited you. for your audience because they've got a treat at the store for them. Great. Thanks so much, Pam. Thank you so much for listening to the Women in Dentistry podcast with Dr. MJ Hanlon. If you like our show and want to know more about us, check out our website, thewomenindentistry.com, or please leave us a review on iTunes. Join us for our next episode as we bring you another amazing woman leading the way for the next generation.